0: Uh, we did not build this this whole thing. Okay, we had a contractor, but it was it was just the build out of this portion. Uh, the other the other side of the hallway was already there, and the story that God gave us was as we were looking for a place that we found a couple of other places. And we just weren't sure if God was calling us to that location because it wasn't just about money and price, it was location. God, where are you calling us? We wanna make an impact. And so as God was leading us, as we were investigating prices that were really high, prices that were really pretty decent, but we just did not sense God's calling there. And then we came across this place, which honestly is only two minutes from where we live. We just thought it was gonna be out of our price range. And as we began to dialogue with them, God marvelously opened the door for us to to be here and provided, and I remember there's uh, two shells here. I'm not going to go into too much detail, meaning there were two places that had absolutely no build out, no AC, electrical, et cetera, that had to get put in. And we said, okay, guys, let's take the larger of those two, which was uh, smaller than this, by the way, and let's just just dream. Let's just diagram. And so we had 12 people there, and we, we diagrammed different uh, things that we could do, and we settled on one, and we submitted it, and they said, oh, that's that's probably going to be about $150,000 of build-out. There's no way to do this. And I remember that night as we gathered together, I said to the people that were gathered there, I said, I realize that we have spent two hours now planning, and there were other things that we planned. I had this gut feeling that the landlord is going to reject this, because he wants us to move into this place, which was much larger. And I said, I don't know how God is gonna do it. Square footage wise, price wise, it, it, it just can't happen. And so we prayed and I told them, I said, God, I'm gonna tell you, God is gonna close this door and he's gonna open it to this, this one right here. And within the month, God opened that door, the price came down. As I gathered the leadership team together, they said, Mike, this is as much as we can offer it all lies on our finances and on faith and they said this is where we're drawing the line and my last offer cuz they were rejecting everything was that offer and they gave us the thumbs up and got open the door and a lot of preparation has gone into it i want to talk to you this morning about preparation can i read just a, a very interesting story to you and and to my knowledge this is this is true the following it says is from the US government Peace Corps manual for its volunteers to work in the Amazon jungle. Any people who have worked in the Amazon jungle in the past, have you? Okay. Um, It tells us what to do in case, are you ready for this? You are attacked by an anaconda. Has anyone ever seen it? Have you ever seen an anaconda? No, Oh, awesome. Maybe some of you have seen the movie Anaconda. I don't know, I'm not sure if I have, but... uh, I have never seen a real anaconda. It's the largest snake in the world. It's relative to the boa constrictor. It grows uh, just a measly 35 feet long in length, and it weighs between 300 and 400 pounds at the maximum. Are you ready for what the manual has to say? How do you kill an anaconda if you're in the Amazon jungle? Are you ready? Step number one. If you are attacked by an anaconda, do not run. The snake is faster than you are. So what do we do? Give up? No. Number. Step number two. Lie flat on the ground. I'm serious. I'm reading. This is the manual. Lie flat on the ground. Put your arms tight against your sides, your legs tight against one another. Step three, tuck your chin in. Step number four, the snake will come and will begin to nudge and climb over your body. Some of you are already out of there. I know it. Step number five, are you ready for this? Do not panic yeah right think about that do not panic step number six after the snake has examined you pause it will begin to swallow you from the feet end always from the feet permit the snake to swallow your feet and ankles do not panic did i tell you do not panic all right just saying Step number seven, the snake will now begin to suck your legs into... I'm not trying to be gross here. I'm just reading the manual to you. The snake will will now begin to suck your legs into its body. You must lie perfectly still. This will take a long time. Step number eight, when the snake has reached your knees, slowly and with as little movement as possible, reach down. Take your knife and very gently slide it into the side of the snake's mouth between the edge of its mouth and your leg, then suddenly rip upwards, severing the snake's head. There are two suggestions here. Number one, number, this is step nine, make sure you have your knife. <laughs> and step 10, make sure your knife is sharp. Wonderful. I I, I felt at the beginning of my ministry that God had called us to the Amazon. I'm not quite sure how my wife would do laying. I'm not quite sure how I would do lying so still as an anaconda began to swallow me. But. This, this idea of preparation is so crucial as we look into our story. and We're going to read it in a few minutes, just the f- first few verses of Joshua chapter 1. We hear these words, get ready. And I, I can remember as a teen, I was a runner. I was a wrestler. I loved sports. I lived for sports. When I gave my heart to Christ, God said, Mike, you love sports more than you love me. So guess which one has to go? And so God took sports out of my life for quite a while. And, I, you know, I was this young guy full of visions for the Olympics and all of that. But I, my dad was a cross-country and track coach in high school, and I was living for sports. And every, every time uh, I, I would run, you know, long distance, they would say, Runners to your mark. That's, that's the easy way of saying get ready, okay? Get ready, get set, go. You know, you're familiar with that. Runners to your marks. And you would put your foot on the line. And then he would shoot the gun. The, the gun has caps, by the way, if you weren't aware of that. And off the runners would go. But every time I would hear the, the man say, runners to your marks, immediately adrenaline would rush into me. I would, I would be so nervous just waiting those two seconds. It seemed like forever before the gun went off and we, we headed out running that 880 or a mile or two mile. In all honesty, I hated running the two-mile, though I was better than that because I could not stand running around the track eight times. It was it was monotonous for me. Others, like in the sprint, uh, you have three commands with the sprint because you've got blocks. It's runners to your mark, set, and they, they get up, so they're ready to head out, and then the gun. And I want to ask you, when God is telling you That you're about to embark on something new and he says, get ready... How do you respond? And the reason why I'm asking this is because for many of us, we have been in this Christian journey and many of us has shifted into neutral. We shift into this survivor mentality because in this journey with God, or at least we think it's been a good journey, we have become disillusioned. We have become frustrated, maybe even angry with God, and we're shying back and we're wondering, can I even trust God anymore? hurts have come along the way we have become discouraged we have prayed and prayed and prayed and we have not seen God come through and we're wondering God what is up with this and we're frustrated and we're wondering is there even a God in heaven can I tell you a short little story of a an ex-pastor friend of mine not not an ex-friend but an ex-pastor friend of mine and I met his family some 15 years ago. We were doing a, a, a park outreach, and the, the it appealed to the mom. She wanted her children to get back into church. He had left the pastorate. He had left the church. He was angry with God when I finally had an opportunity to catch up with him, and he did come and visit our church for a short while. But he said, Mike, I am at a place, because I have studied apologetics, which is studying evidences for the Christian faith, among other things, and He said, Mike, I am so angry with God, but I cannot deny him. His family had been falling apart. Um, He felt God had abandoned him. He was thoroughly caught up in pornography, and he was blaming God. And he had prayed and prayed and prayed for a variety of things, and it was as if the heavens were bronze, And he said, Mike, I can't deny God, but I don't want to follow him anymore. Maybe some of you this morning are at that place. Maybe you're not caught up in pornography or some other addiction. Maybe you are. But you're wondering, God, where are you right now in my life? And when you hear God's saying something like this morning, get ready, I have something for you. It's forcing you out of this survivor mode that you're just kind of hanging on till Jesus comes. And, and he's wanting you to engage with him. Again, there's a nervousness, there's a wondering, a question, can I even do this? Is God trustworthy? And I want to tell you this morning that he is, that God is trustworthy. And see, the problem is not with God for us to be able to move into this new thing that God has for us. And I believe God has many new things for us. We're just hesitant. Our faith is weak. I believe the problem is not with God, but it is with us. And so as we go through this book of Joshua, I want to be able to appeal to you, how can God get your heart ready so that you can embrace every good thing that he has for you? Can I ask you this? Who of you woke up this morning saying, man, I want to wait. I want to go through my day and I want to fail. I want to be a failure. How many of you woke up this morning and saying, man, I really hope I have a bad day? How many of you woke up this morning and as you prayed, you said, Lord, I just asked that I would encounter every curse that, that you can imagine. No, we want God's blessing. We want his favor. We want, to, we want to succeed in life, don't we? And so our heart, though, is the key in this. The, the problem is not with God. And I'm really hoping as we understand who God is and, who, and what his ways are, those two things, who God is, And what his ways are, when we understand that more, you're going to see things begin to fall into place. Now, for Joshua, he was called to take to the promised land. The Moses generation, and I just want to use that uh, turn of phrase, the Moses generation had been an unfaithful generation. They were complainers. They were grumblers. Every time they faced a problem, they said, God, where are you here? It would have been better if we just stayed in bondage in Egypt. It was better back there. You know, we ate leeks and onions by the Nile. We had as much as we wanted to to feast on and drink. And out here, it's manna and on on occasion, quail. But We get thirsty all the time, sometimes three days straight with no water. There was a heart that was grumbling. When they went on spot to spy out the land, and many of you may remember this story, they came back, 12 spies came back spying out the promised land. They They were on the brink of moving in and taking this promised land that church, they had been waiting 430 years for. Promise given to Abraham and now fulfilled or ready to be fulfilled as they had left Egypt To go into the land of Canaan. God's promised land for the nation of Israel. And as they are poised on this. Venture to step in. And take this land. Ten of them come back. With do you remember what kind of a report? A bad report. A discouraged. They are so tall. We were like Grasshoppers to them. They were huge. It's it's impossible. We can't do it. And Joshua and Caleb, two men of faith, who knew who God was and they knew his way, said, nothing doing. Yes, they're big. Yes, they're, you know, the the land is awesome. I mean, they came back with with grapes, clusters of grapes that were huge. It was amazing. But yes, the people, yes, it's gonna be hard. But he says, but God has not called us to this point only to leave us here. And I want to challenge you this morning. God has not called you to this point in your life to just leave you there and say, I'm abandoning you. You are not orphans with no hope. And so the Joshua, the Moses generation After disobeying and complaining, God said, okay, 40 years of wandering. They'd already been there a year. So actually 38 years of wandering and then took them a year when God said go to come to the Jordan River, Joshua chapter 1. 40 years from the time they left Egypt to there, one year in the beginning and one year at the end. took them a year to get to Sinai and they stayed there. And then a year to position themselves, conquer a few kingdoms on the east side of Jordan, and then stand at the brink of a a bank of the Jordan River to cross. And God is speaking to Joshua. The Moses generation was not a generation of faith. The Moses generation, as much as it was Moses heart to impart faith and who God is and his ways to them they failed they didn't get it there was so much of their mindset that had been contorted and twisted and skewed from Egypt as slaves now with that they still had this slavery mindset they they did not allow the spirit of God to change them and so God had to raise up a new generation and I'm going to call this generation the Joshua generation and it was that generation that was to go into this promised land they were a generation that struggled, but they were a generation also of faith. And they began to grasp who God was and what his ways were. When Moses was had just come down from Mount Sinai, you remember the incident with the golden calf? And Aaron says, well, golly, I don't know what happened. We kind of threw gold into the fire and out came this this." Golden calf. And so the people just started to worship. Moses, it was totally out of my hands. It wasn't my fault. Okay? And he gives excuse after excuse. And God says, I- I'm going to need to purge these people. I need to punish them for their sin. I need to get rid of this this wandering spirit in them. And Moses, in chapter 33 and 34 of Exodus, he intercedes for them. And the first thing out of his lips are this. God, how am I to lead these people if I do not know you or your ways. The book of Joshua reveals to us who God is, what his ways are, that we can follow him. And for the Joshua generation, by faith, enter the promised land. And so, I, I realize that, the truth be told, many of us have become angry with God, disillusioned, maybe even bitter. We want to live our lives disengaged from God, shifting into neutral, protecting ourselves from disappointment. But I want to ask you, is this how God desires that you live, distant and and disengaged? Isn't there a lifestyle in which we can, that you can live with a sense of joyful expectation and excitement? And we're going to also need to understand what is God's definition of success and how can we walk in, how can we experience that? I'm not going to be preaching a name it and claim it message. That is not my theology or some people call it blab it and grab it. The, The truth is God does though have precious promises for us that we need to explore and he wants us to inherit all of this that he has offered to us and we need to ask how can we do this how can we inherit it? how can we walk in it day by day not just every on on occasions here and there but every day how can you walk in that this is what we're going to need to explore over the next several weeks so turn with me to joshua 1 verse 1 and it says this after The death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. The Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun. That doesn't mean he didn't have parents, by the way. It's N-U-N. That was the name of his dad, yeah. Moses' aid. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready. Church, say that with me. Get Get ready. ready. Thank you. Get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them to the Israelites, verse three. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west, which would be the Mediterranean. Verse five, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. How would you like a promise of God to start off with someone's death? Yeah, Moses has died. You know, humorously, God just kind of pauses a little bit. Moses has died. Let that sink in a little bit. Okay, here we go. I mean... Moses was the leader. It was at the hand of Moses that the ten plagues came. You remember this. It was at the hand of Moses that the Red Sea was parted. Can you imagine that with the enemy on your tail, the the Red Sea on the other side? There was no way to go uh, in front or behind. It was just which way. I mean, do we fight because we're not ready for battle or do we drown in the sea? And God said, wait, hang on. And God parted the Red Sea. To the point, Scripture says they walked on dry ground. It wasn't muddy; it was dry ground that they walked across. You remember the story as they crossed over, and the the chariots of Egypt, the men of of Egypt, charged after them. The sea came in, drowned them all, and the uh, the Egyptian army was destroyed. Pharaoh was destroyed. And they are now, by the way, beginning to find archaeological evidence to support this. And that's why the, His- the Hyksos, if you're familiar with the Hyksos, that is probably the time in which they came in, invaded Egypt. And Menetho, an Egyptian or a, a, a historian around four or 500 BC, records Egyptian history and says, when the Hyksos came in, they came in and there was no fight, and they took over the land of Egypt. And, and historians have always wondered how that could could be, and unfortunately, because they've gotten their Egyptian chronology mixed up, that they are beginning to correct. If you're currently reading up on Egyptian archaeology, which probably none of you have, but uh, there's some awesome videos I'd love to show you that are very very good commentaries, and they are realizing that their uh, G- Egyptian chronology is off, and they're synchronizing. And of course, guess what's happening? It's synchronizing with biblical history, hmm. and. They are realizing that things are falling into place. Uh, amazing, amazing discoveries. But this is, this is true. This is truth. And as the, the Red Sea was parted, the army destroyed, now they're, they're needing food. God provides what? Do you remember? What does God provide? Manna. When there's no water, Moses hit the rock, and out comes fruit punch. Water, thank you um they they're they're complaining all about all this manna 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 you know keith green way back in the early 80s he wrote this song and it was what was it called but it was talking about i'm sorry want to go back to egypt there we go thank you jane and uh he says in the song he talks about manna and manna bagels and manna waffles and uh banana bread oh that was a bad pun Uh, But it was manna every day, and they were just saying, God, what is up with this? It's manna souffle, and we're tired of this. And so God says, oh, complaining. You don't want manna? I'll give you quail. And and it was quail three feet deep everywhere they could look. Can you imagine gathering and and preparing that? But miracle after miracle, God did. And now the word to Joshua is, yes, Moses is dead. And guess who is now taking the baton." It's you, Joshua. Now, I just want you to consider this. If you were an Israelite at that time, and this incredible leader, who, by the way, is probably from a New Testament perspective, and even through the Old, but the New Testament in particular, Moses is viewed as probably the most awesome man of God until Jesus. He's dead now. All those miracles that you relied on to get to this point, the man through whom God did them, gone. He's dead, buried on on a mountain outside of the promised land. Moses only had an opportunity to view the promised land from a distance. He's dead. But Joshua, know this, as I was with Moses, so I am going to be with you. Let that sink in. Can you imagine the honor that, that Moses felt that God was then placing upon him? For many of us, I I think that when God begins to speak such words and we're facing just incredible, what we view anyway, as impossibilities. Moses is dead. Well, well, who's going to do the miracles now? Because we're about to enter the promised land. And oh, by the way, there are giants and they're way taller than we are. How are we going to do this? Well, next week you'll learn about what Joshua was challenged. We're just going to look at the first five verses here. But what a challenge. Maybe for some of them, it was a huge disappointment. The the main leader is gone. They've been following him for 40 plus years. Miracle after miracle. Now what's Joshua going to do? No pressure, by the way, Joshua. The first thing he says is get ready. Get ready to cross the Jordan. This miracle of the parting of the Jordan was as miraculous as the parting of the red sea. I think it needed to happen because the, the people of Israel needed to see that the anointing that was on Moses was now upon Joshua. So I think the people needed to see this. And we're gonna we're gonna look at that story several weeks from now as the as they had the priests carrying the ark had to step into the river. And as they began to trek through the river in the water, God stopped it up several miles up upstream. And then the, the priests, two in the front, two in the back, carrying the ark. You remember the Ark of the Covenant, the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark? Okay. There were a few things in there that were actually true. The rest was totally off. But anyway, um, there were staves, poles. They carried them, one on each side. And it would typically take four people, and they would carry this thing. They stood in the middle of the Jordan River. As the people, probably two million plus Israelites crossing the Jordan River to the other side. We don't know exactly how many stayed behind, but the fighting men, at least 600,000 crossed. So we don't know exactly how many crossed. But God did a miracle that day of the parting of the Red Sea that was equal to the parting of the Red Sea. The parting of the Jordan equal to the parting of the Red Sea. And what were they going to do? They were going to go into the promised land. I want to make this relevant right now for us. I want to ask you, since this is a promised land, it had been promised now for 430 years, from the time God spoke to Moses to that day, what kind of promises has God given to you? What kind of promises has God given to you? What is your inheritance as a follower of Jesus? Can I tell you what it is not? It is not winning the lottery. Sorry, I don't mean to disappoint, but God's inheritance to you is not winning the lottery. It is not that there will be no problems or struggles for you to face. You will encounter struggles. You will encounter problems. And I'm gonna tell you this, many of those problems, not just a handful, many of those problems will be way beyond your ability to handle them. Okay, I'm gonna come back to that in a moment. It is not being happy all the time. I wanna be happy all the time. But that is not the inheritance that God has given me. And I'm going to make a distinction between joy and happiness. Happiness is an emotion. I love feeling happy, but God has called us to be joyful, and that is part of our inheritance. But joy is a decision. The emotion follows. But joy is a decision. Happiness is an emotion. God has not promised happiness all the time. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was pressed in despair to the point of death the bible says so where was jesus happiness at that moment god doesn't promise happiness all the time that is not our inheritance it doesn't mean that we're always going to get the promotion that we've been praying for it doesn't mean that there will be no marital conflicts. Sorry, I know that many of you are looking forward to getting married and may, you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus and you know my parents just didn't seem to have it together but I'm going to have it together and that's part of my inheritance as a believer and there's not going to be any marital problems in my marriage at all. God bless you by the way. God bless you with that vision and that goal. That that is That's a great goal. It just may not line up with reality, okay? You know, you're not going to have uh arguments, you're just going to have intense discussions, right? That's that's probably yeah, that's how some describe it. We we don't have problems, we just have intense discussions at times. It does not mean that you, God is going to give you a BMW X5. Sorry. W- Ephesians chapter 1 and and I'm just going to read these two two or three passages very quickly you don't have to turn there I'm not going to spend a lot of time but we do need to begin to understand what this inheritance is because we need this going through Joshua to be relevant to us this is a promised land that they are entering and they have to enter it by battling and it is a it is the the promise that they've had for 430 years and it is it is paralleled with the promises that God has given to you. And what are those promises? It's not just a promise, but it's also an inheritance. Well, let's look at that for a moment. Ephesians 1, 3, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. And for the next several verses, he he uh, he." Lays that out for us. And what those spiritual blessings are in Christ. That he's chosen us before the creation of the Lord. He's predestined us. He has, he has redeemed us through the precious blood of Christ. And he's forgiven us. He has made known this mystery according to his good pleasure. He has chosen us. It says in verse 13 and 14. He says, having believed you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit who's a deposit guaranteeing our What? inheritance, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, I do believe that these are spiritual blessings. I also believe that God wants to bless us in the physical realm as well. He did give the, bl- the promise in Deuteronomy 28 that the people of Israel as a nation would be the head and not the tail. That if they obeyed God, that they would never borrow from any nation, but only lend. That their barns would brim with food, with w- their vats, with wine. Their, would, their needs would always be met. In Malachi 3, the promises. Test me in this and see if it is not true that if you give of your tithes and offerings, if you surrender even when you feel that you have no finances to give, but if you do that, test me and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that you cannot contain it. So I do believe that part of this inheritance is this favor from God, this blessing from God that he will come through for us. He will meet our needs. These blessings then would include being rescued, just as Israel was from Egypt, but us being rescued from the slavery of sin. It is forgiveness. It's being loved by this God who is love no matter what. It is starting on this journey of a transformed life. Paul calls a new creation in Christ. It's God's spirit in us. Speaking to us and working through us. It is joy. It's his favor upon us as we do his will. It is being the head and not the tail. It is our barns overflowing. It is the vats flowing over with wine. It is God's blessing and favor. If we do not understand what our inheritance is, though, we cannot follow the next step. And that is, he tells him, Not just to get ready, but he tells him to walk the land. Do you see that there in verse three? I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Now, I personally don't believe that Joshua at that moment, and it would not be recorded in the entire book of Joshua or Judges or any other book. I do not believe that it was Joshua saying, okay, cool. Uh, Let's just march around the land. So he headed north and then he curved over to the Mediterranean and they walked the circumference of the promised land. Now, some people believe that this is what Moses did. Can I tell you, I don't agree with that view, number one, because the Bible never says he did that. But what the book of Joshua is filled with is their foot going everywhere to claim the land. But you know how their feet or why their feet went everywhere to to take the land, it was because they were in the midst of battle. They took the la- they walked the land by going to these places and conquering them. They went north, south, east, west. Why? Not just to walk it, but to take it. And they took it by force. They took it as God had given it to them in battle. And God did amazing things. We're going to look at some of these miracles that God did. But I bring this point up because many times people think, well, for me to walk the land and take the land, God is going to do like everything. God is, you know, we're just going to march around the walls of Jericho, whatever that is for you, and God's going to cause the walls to fall flat. Can I tell you this, that there are going to be times in your life in which you are up against an impossible situation and you don't do anything, and God clears the way, and he makes a way where there seems to be no way. God is going to do that at times. But as you go through the book of Joshua, that tends to be, though there are miracles, don't get me wrong, there are miracles. But that tends to be more the exception than the rule. There were battles. They did have to fight. When they crossed the land, we're going to look at this place called Gilgal. And what is Gilgal for you and me? But it was their army headquarters. And where they were stationed and they branched out with their various campaigns north, south, east, west. Can I tell you this, though? That in these battles, there were always Jews that died. Okay, To gain victory, there was loss. We just need to realize that in this battle against darkness, in this fight to to walk with Christ and to promote his kingdom and make disciples of all nations, to provide for my family and lead my family into a relationship with Jesus Christ that is nothing less than life transforming, there is going to be sacrifice. There are going to be... Things lost. And Jesus challenged his disciples. He said, no one can be a disciple if he doesn't give up everything for me. Luke 14. You must deny self, take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross. That doesn't mean the person next to you, by the way. It doesn't mean your spouse who's been haranguing you this past week. It's not your boss that you really have a grudge against. That's not your cross. Jesus is saying the cross is you got to be willing to die for me. Whoa you got to be willing to lay down everything, even your own life. And Jesus says, yes, because if you can't, check the Bible on this with me. Then you can't be my disciple because that's what faith is. Faith means to commit oneself to. And so as... As Joshua is getting ready to to go into the promised land, and he is walking the land in battle, there were losses. I'm going to guess that Joshua expected these losses, but the truth is, losses are never fun. How many of you have prayed and you have a plan and you pray according to that plan? You say, God, I've got this plan and I would like you to bless this plan. Anybody who has ever prayed a prayer like that? You have a plan. Come on. You need to be raising your hands. I know I've done it too. I've got a plan, Lord, and I'm asking, can you bless this plan? And God is saying, well, wow, I would really love to bless that plan because I want to bless you, Mike. It's just that it's not my plan. Oops. My plan. I have a business I used to work at full time praise God God has opened the door so I'm pastoring much more now but I now do it one day a week sometimes more but I can remember a time I can't remember if I was working at two or three days a week but the business was not providing enough and I struggled with that and and the natural inclination is well I need to go out and I need to get more accounts And so I went out to try and get accounts, and it was impossible to get these accounts. The the EPA regulations had changed. It had seriously limited what I could do unless I poured thousands and thousands of dollars into my business. I couldn't afford to do that. Other companies did, and so the larger companies grew more because they could afford to pour money into using waterless paints and and buying these $30,000 ventilated booths that were mobile, and I couldn't do that. So I was very limited in what I could do. Not one company opened the door to me. Not one. And while I was driving, God said to me, Mike, can you trust me to provide? And I knew, I just knew that I was not going to be getting into accounts. It wasn't that, you know, I wanted to. Well, I'm just going to believe God's going get, to get me into accounts. I'm going to work hard because all hard work brings a profit, right? So I'm, I'm going to work hard and I'm going to get into these. Okay, Mike. I just need you to know that I'm going to provide for you. I tried getting into every account I could, and every door was closed. I went out many times, nothing, nothing, nothing. And I'm just saying, God, what are we going to do? It's the end of the month, and on average, we were several hundred dollars short. For the next eight months, God, according to his plan and not mine, he did 12 miracles to provide for my family, 12 of them. I wrote them down one day. I was just amazed. At the end of some of these months, some of my daughters would come to me, and they would say, so, Dad, how did God provide for us this month? And I remember there was one time in which my my answer was no. I, I don't know because he hasn't, and I have to pay the bills today. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I, I'm not going to be able to pay for all of them. And I went to the mailbox, and I got the mail, and I plopped it on my desk, and I, I bent down. I was in tears. I was just crying out to God. God, this is hard. It's been several months. You have provided. But this month, you're not. And I don't understand it. And I need you to come through. And I got to pay my bills. And I don't know how I'm going to pay for all my bills. I can pay for most of them, but not all of them. What are you going to do, God? Because it's my plan and responsibility to provide for my family. How are you going to do this? How am I going to do this? I prayed. And as I prayed, I I picked up the mail and went through it. And there was a letter from my mom and dad. And they had never done this before. We were in need of $500 that month. Can you guess what the amount of the check was that month? God gave me a check through them for $500. Twelve miracles like this. One after the other. I had employees, the downturn of the economy. You remember in 07 when every dealership, it seemed like, was looking for a handout? uh, It seriously affected my business. And it was about that time we were going through this. And I just said, God, I I don't know what you're going to do. I had to release some of my employees and scale back and found out that, well, I don't need workers' comp anymore. And then I got a check for over $1,200 from workers' comp. Because you pay in the beginning of the year, and then they evaluate at the end. They call that a, um, an audit. So I got a check. Actually, it was for $1,400 one month. Total surprise. And God did things like 12 of these. You see, that wasn't my plan. I don't like waiting until the very last minute. And seeing there is no provision here, I like to plan, I'm calculated, I like to be, I'm the type of person who who likes to reduce risk to zero before I do anything. And God is telling me, he's saying, no, you need to trust me. I know this isn't your plan, Mike, but it is my plan. And I was praying and praying and praying, my plan. And I could have gotten angry with God. And I could have gotten discouraged and said, God, you are not providing. I'm going to just go out there and I'm going to borrow money. I could have done that. And God told me. And I had a conviction against that, so I could have, but I, even that would have. Anyway, I knew I couldn't do that. And God said, Mike, can you let me do it my way? You, think, you see, I think many of us, we get discouraged and disillusioned because we have a plan. We have a way. But when you begin to know who God is, that he is faithful and he is loving and he's going to come through. When you begin to understand who God is and that he is really for you, he is not against you at all. And we decide that we're going to follow after him when we know who he is and we begin to understand his ways and how he works. And we begin to stop saying, God, I got a plan. Will you bless my plan? We begin to say, God, what is your plan? And can you show me what that plan is? And can you bless that plan? At that point, when you are fully trusting in him, that's when God comes through in amazing ways. Here's what I found out. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, he says he was was praying for this thorn in the flesh. And he said, prayed three times that it would be gone. God did not take it away. And finally, God spoke to his heart. And he said, you know what, Paul? My grace is enough for you. It's enough. In your weakness, my strength will be made perfect. Here's what I've discovered as far as how the way, one of the ways God works. He will purposefully bring you to the end of yourself where there is nothing more that you can do. And you will struggle and you will pray and you will fight and you will, you will want to move forward, and, but you'll realize there is nothing more that you can do. And when you cry out to God, that's when his grace begins to shine. And you become a display of his awesome grace. You become a display of his love that he intervenes and pours out into your life. And he says, you know what? I know you can't, but guess what, Michael? I can, and I want to. But many of us in this journey of following our plan, we have gotten angry. You become disappointed and disillusioned, and you have fought God. You feel like maybe you've fallen into the hole, and, and maybe you're even willing to admit, and you were the one that dug that hole, by the way, and you fell into it. You understand what I'm saying by that? It's our responsibility, and, and you need help getting out of that hole. You need help, God, changing your heart. Can I, can I tell you this? Isaiah 43.2. We actually looked at that in, in the group um, this past Wednesday, a small group. And it says, when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Can I read that one more time? When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. This is one of the ways of God. He is faithful and loving and merciful. But there are going to be times in which you will walk through the fire. You don't want to walk through the fire. Anyone here wake up this morning and say, oh, God, please give me some fire today. Let me have have trials come my way. I don't think any of us did. We want to avoid those things. So when we pray, we say, God, just take it all away. I don't want any of this yucky stuff in my life. I don't want want to experience trials and heartache and disappointment. I don't want to fight. I don't want to go through this difficult time, this hardship, this financial crisis. I don't think anyone woke up this morning and said, God, give me a financial crisis today. But God says, you know what? I may not always deliver you from the fire. And he he does at times, church, by the way. But he says, I need you to walk through the fire. I need you to walk through this fire. But can you trust me that you will not be burned? Can, Can I just share a personal testimony with you? I'm not sure if I have been through more fire than in the last three weeks. I have been so amazed at how the enemy has come in and tried to keep us from getting our CR certificate of occupancy so that we could not, so that you know, getting that would enable us to meet this morning. And things were coming down to the wire and it's like, this is crazy. To the point where we discovered two or three weeks ago we needed to have an upgrade on our fire alarm. And I'm saying, what? Why are we finding out now? you got to get a permit. You have to have a company come in and do it. You're talking you know, at least a month, and now we're two weeks before opening. How did this happen? And one thing after the other began to happen. Every single day, something was coming up that could make it so that we would not pass those final examinations this past Thursday, by the way. I remember one, oh, this past Wednesday, I, w- I was just fighting in prayer and just saying god you've got to make a way this is a, and by the way every day when those problems i by the way i went through my cell phone and i noticed i made 50 calls every single day trying to deal with with these things and i just said god this is in your hands and i've got to trust you and the fire was so intense i was moving some wood from my backyard to our front for the garbage people and some of the wood was in a bag i won't get into the details of why it was in a bag but i was carrying one of these bags there were three of them and the third one i was just carrying it and halfway going from my backyard to my front yard halfway i looked down at the bag and literally there are thousands of ants on this bag how many of you love florida ants and you want them crawling on your body. And I'm holding this bag. and it's, I'm not dropping this bag. I am tired. I'm going to take care of this problem. I'm going to set it out by the, the, the garbage and have them take it away. And the, there's thousands of ants on this bag. And I set the bag down. And I get ready to wipe the ants off. And I'm looking at my hands. and I'm, No where are all the ants and I'm looking I'm standing there for like five minutes looking at my hands because nobody wants to be bitten by fire ants amen and I'm looking all over and there was not one ant on my hands but there were thousands literally thousands of all over this bag but not any on my hands or my forearm looking down at my shoes where did they go up on my sleeves no ants and God immediately spoke to me and says Mike can you walk through the fire And trust me that you will not be burned. That might sound like a a silly illustration to you. It has to do with ants and getting bitten by ants. But the truth is, God needs us because he has purposes we don't see, but he needs us many times to go through the fire. But can you trust him that you will not be burned? That doesn't mean it's not going to be hard. Walking the land meant casualties. There were Jews that died. There were losses. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 8, God basically, you know, I'm not going to turn there, but God basically told Moses at the burning bush, I've heard the cries of the Egyptians. I will take them out of Egypt into the promised land. Analogous to God rescuing you and bringing you into this awesome inheritance he has for you. God does not bring you out and leave us. He will bring us in. He doesn't bring us out to not bring us in. He will. He will bring us in. Jeremiah 29 11, God says I have plans for you. Says the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you a hope and a future this is part of our inheritance and it is a good inheritance and it is a good plan or plans that God has for us but church there will be losses and the last thing that I want us to look at is right there and it says verse 5 no one will be able to stand up against you Romans eight thirty seven. He's talking about, can anything separate us from Christ's love? And in verse 37, he speaks this. It's like a resounding exclamation mark. He says, no, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. He says it this way, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You know what that word more than conquerors is? It literally reads in the Greek, super conquerors, hooper, the Greek word for conquerors. you're a super conqueror you know the superhero marvel and dc comics have come out with these you know iron man and hulk and all of these incredible things they're you know they're superheroes i love playing superheroes when I was a little kid, I love Iron Man was my favorite superhero. And we, when we get ready to play, we I want to be this superhero. I want to be Superman. I want to be Batman. I want to be Iron Man. And then my younger brother says, I want to be God. And he says, so we beat him up. Because that way, okay, you just crossed the line there, buddy. No way. That's unfair. All right. But God has called us, maybe not to be superheroes, maybe in a sense, but he's called you to be a super conqueror. And that's the essence that God is speaking to Joshua. No one will be able to stand up against you. And everywhere Joshua went, according to God's plan and purposes for Joshua and the nation of Israel, the enemy fell. The only time in which they didn't fall was when they were in direct disobedience to God. We'll talk about that one week. We are more than conquerors. We are super conquerors. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth seeking to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Maybe some of you have enemies. For some of you, maybe that's your boss. Maybe you feel like that's your spouse. Maybe you feel like that's your neighbor. Maybe you feel like it's someone or something that is impeding your progress or what you view as success and you're you're hitting up against this obstacle constantly and it is if this obstacle were only removed that is your that is your enemy god has said that he will give you strength to be able to overcome that no one that no thing nothing will be able to stand up against you That's an awesome promise, church. That amazes me. It is true, by the way. God is faithful, loving. He is true to his promises. This is true. Yes, it happened to Joshua thousands of years ago, but it is just as true then as it is to you today. You are called to be a a super conqueror in Christ. And I'm going to tell you this, as we go through Joshua, as we begin to learn who God is and what his ways are, how he works, you're going to be able to see more and more how God is causing you to be able to inherit and embrace every good thing and every good intention in the heart of God. So I want to ask you, do you feel disengaged from God? Do you feel like you're slipping into survivor mode that that the the world or Satan is swallowing you up like our anaconda snake okay and what are you gonna do about it stay still, don't panic. there you go stay still don't panic trust in God let him see him allow him to work the miracles in your life that he wants to he wants to work these miracles So my question to you is very simply this, can you trust him? He's telling you right now, runners to your marks. Are you nervous? Are you anxious? Are you wanting to disengage? Are you filled with fear? Are you stepping up to the line and are you ready? He has good things planned for you, my friends. Awesome things, awesome things. Are you ready? Maybe this morning you would have to say you're not ready because I've been talking about this relationship with God, with Jesus Christ. You would have to be honest and confess that that is non existent in your life. And so this morning I invite you to step into this life changing relationship. With Jesus Christ, and I say life changing because when you step into this this relationship, it is a journey, it is an adventure, and you will see the grace of God step in. Most significantly, when you are at the end of yourself, and you're, I have testimony after testimony in my life because God is purposefully in His plan, not mine, but mine is to reduce risk. His says, "No, Mike, I want you to step out, and I need you to do this." And I come to that place where I say, "I can't, I can't." And God loves to show off his grace. And he wants to do this for you. Will you let him do it right now in giving your heart to him, in surrendering him? The sin that you're addicted to in your life, he wants to forgive you of that sin. He wants to break that chain and set you free. Will you let him do that tonight? Will you trust him, commit Yourself to Him. Can you stand with me right now? I want us to pray. I want you, and I'm going to invite you to ask God for you to cry out to God. I'm not going to walk you through what's commonly called a sinner's prayer. I want you to own that prayer. God's going to show you what to pray. If you're lost in your sin and you need Him to lift you out, cry out to Him and say, God, I'm a sinner and I just need to be rescued. From this sin, I need you to come through in my life. And I give you my life. I surrender to you. It is simple as that. So I'm going to pray. And as I pray, you just begin to cry out to him all over here. All over this congregation. You just cry out to him and ask him to rescue you. Spirit of God. We're gathered here In Jesus' name, many of us, through hurts and disillusionments, were disengaged. Call those back to you, God, please. Open our hearts and soften them. Give us hope again. Father, I pray that you would heal hearts tonight that are angry with you. Father, that you would speak truth, that you can be trusted, and that you are good, that your love endures forever. Heal the wounded hearts this morning, the faint hearts, the hurting hearts. Begin to cry out to him, church. Begin to pray. You pray. You share with God what your needs are right now, today, this moment. Father, for those who are lost and they're searching for truth and and they'd have to admit they've never entered into this relationship with Jesus. God has been a religion and going to church a thing to do. But this morning, God, I pray that you would have revealed your grace and your plan of salvation, your rescue plan. And if there's any here who have never trusted you, truly trusted you, given up everything to follow you today, God, may they do that. You are trustworthy. Spirit of God, I pray that you would come and that you would move and that you would stir hearts and that people would begin to cry out to you to be rescued and you would do this, God, because this is your heart. This is who you are. This is your love. This is your grace. And you can be trusted. And I just ask you, Spirit of God, whatever need we bring with us this morning, Lead us to trust you for it. And I'm asking you, Lord God, come through. According to your plan and your ways, come through. And meet these needs beyond our expectations. All we pray or imagine, would you do this to bring yourself glory in Jesus' name. Can I encourage you today that if you need prayer, more prayer than just an open prayer like this, that you would come forward. We want to be able to pray with you. There's several of us here. We would love to pray with you in your need. If you have this morning given your heart to Jesus Christ, I want you to know the Bible tells us that the angels in heaven right now are having a party on your behalf they are celebrating and rejoicing because you surrendered your heart to the king of kings and the god of the universe that created you for such a time as this and i would love for you to come and share that with me and to be able for us to pray with you as well but god bless you there's donuts and orange juice and coffee in the welcome center you're more than welcome to hang out here and enjoy each other's fellowship or to receive ministry and prayer amen god bless you have an awesome week amen